You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer, and welcome to a special International Women's Day edition of the show. Coming up, we meet a zookeeper, a fire chief, a banking executive, a politician, and a singer-songwriter, all of them sharing their stories and what International Women's Day means to them. We begin with the work of a former regional counselor, Tina Cortez, with her story. Sunder Singh is the executive director of Elspeth Hayworth Center for Women. Sunder, thank you for joining us on the feed. Thank you, Tina. The theme this year, as you know, is generation equality. What does that mean to you? So let me talk about uh, a bit of solution as to how we can change things around. We hear about domestic violence. We we hear about uh, gender inequality so often. And uh, we, when we talk to women who uh, experience gender inequality, we, we ask them, uh, you know, uh, why did you allow this to happen? And most of them, they say, well, we, we did not even know that there was gender equality. This is just part of life. So uh, we looked at solutions, how things can change and how things can change in the next generation. So the the theme of United Nations is very aligned with the programs that Elspeth Hayward Center for Women offers. Uh, For example, during summertime, uh, we bring children who are out of school uh, during summertime, and uh, we hold uh, different programs for them. But before the program starts early in the morning, for about 40, 45 minutes, uh, we have an interactive uh, program for them. We talk about gender equality. We talk about respect for parents. We talk about respect for uh, grandparents and their wisdom, how to help out at home when mothers are working, uh, they are busy with their life, etc. So um, we do this through games. We do through, uh, this through stories and uh, uh, interactive discussion. And can so, I ask you, what has been the reaction to this type of program, both on the side of the children and on side of you know some of the other participants? What do they right. think? So parents report transformation of the children. The children begin to show respect, and they understand that the balance of uh, men and women and boys and girls working and living together is absolutely necessary. Without it, uh, there is no balance in the in the world. And uh, when the balance is tipped, then uh, we have disasters that take place all over the world. And we hear about it in the news every day. Uh, in Canada alone, over 4,000 arrests result from domestic violence. Uh, but if you educate the children, uh, we hope that in the next generation, the children will begin to understand that this is not the way to live. Um, About 12% of all the violent crimes in Canada are uh, uh, through domestic violence. But uh, they say that only 22% of all the incidents are reported to the police. And uh, so, in other words, the the percentage is much, much higher. Now, you're obviously very passionate about this work. Why does it mean so much to you? 
Because uh, one of our programs that you offer at Aspeth Hibbert Center is to help women who are breaking away from violence uh, to become self-sufficient. And through discussions with them on a daily basis, we begin to understand that this is a dire need in the society, is to educate the children right from the beginning. We have to program in the right direction. And that's why I take passion in this and, and uh, would like to talk to the educators and would like to give a message to the, the school board trustees and the schools that the system needs to be changed. Did you want to share anything else about some of the other programs that you offer at the center? Um, the, we, uh, the, the core programs uh, that are offered um, through Elspeth Haber Center are settlement services uh, for the newcomers, immigrants, and refugees. And um, we help them to fill out documents. We help them to settle in Canada. Uh, uh, through the services that we offer, we find out due to stresses at home, a woman becomes very vulnerable and she begins to face domestic violence. So we have to step in and uh, talk to the women uh, that in this country they can report violence, that they do have rights in this country. So we go through the entire process. We do work workshops. We partner with uh, the, the Toronto Police um, as well. We receive referrals from them uh, so that we can help the women uh, who are going through difficult times during settlement. Women have uh, language issues. Um, uh, we, we also have programs for uh, seniors as well. Uh, we have two locations. Uh, head office is in Toronto and the satellite office is in the city of Vaughan where we have uh, nearly 200 seniors um, participating in various mental and physical um, uh, healthy activities. And we also run a social enterprise uh, so that uh, there is less reliance on the government funding. We, we try to generate our own funds so that we are able to look after the administrative expenses. And uh, this social enterprise is called Rivent Interpretation and Translation Services, offering 110 languages and providing the language services for newcomers, immigrants, and those people who have difficulty speaking English language. You mentioned some of your work at the Centre for Women Who Are Victims of Domestic Violence. Can you share with us some of the success stories? Not with, you know, we don't want to get into any specific names or details, but someone who has come to the Centre and come out the other side. As soon as a woman reports violence, the first thing we try to do is to make sure that she's safe and uh, she's put into a housing and making sure that the child is going to the right school, wherever she thinks a child should go. And then her uh, next biggest issue is the income. So for the immediate um, action we take is to make sure that she goes on social assistance so that there's some income coming for her and she is not experiencing stress, but we don't stop there. So as soon as um, she is settled, then we, uh, we try to find employment for her. So it's not just employment, finding jobs at Tim Hortons or McDonald's or whatever, but we look at women in the long term 
what is it that we can do or how she can be trained so that she can become a professional. So she cannot think of becoming a doctor or a lawyer or accountant, but we connect them to the Toronto Community Benefits Network. Under that umbrella, there are multiple unions that provide uh, apprenticeship program and training. And uh, within a few years, uh, up to five years, they can get a red seal. And once they have a red seal, they are able to then find uh, you know good jobs, well paying uh, on benefits on uh, you know pension plan so that these women uh, within four to five years are able to uh, uh, to, to find uh, their their place they can dream of having homes and they can dream of having you know cars and uh, you know s- settle in in this country what is your message then as we celebrate and mark this international women's day um, I would like everyone to know that uh, to to change the the system, we have to start with the children. It is mother's responsibility to make sure that the children understand that gender equality is uh, is absolutely necessary for the the world's welfare. It, uh, Swami Vivekananda once said, "There is no chance for the welfare of the world unless the condition of woman is." improved. It is not possible for a bird to fly only on one wing. Hmm. If our listeners want more information about your programs, where can they go? They can go to our website, www.ehcw.ca, or they can certainly call us, 416-663-2978. Sandra, thank you for joining us on this special Women's Day edition of The Feed. Thank you, Tina. What does International Women's Day mean to you? Hi there, I'm Jim Lang, and I'm a girl dad. And this is what International Women's Day means to me. I'm the proud father to two amazing daughters. Our oldest, Adriana, is in university. She's a budding scientist and a young woman who's passionate about funny memes, music, animals, and the environment, especially the environment. Our youngest is Cassandra. She's in grade 11. Cassandra's a bright young woman who's passionate about Snapchat, dance, music, animals, her friends, and helping others. And pasta, especially pasta. Their mother, my wife Patricia, is the smartest, most multi-talented woman that I know. Patricia can do it all, especially home improvement. She loves home improvement. One time, we had to go to Home Depot to get some plumbing supplies for a project that she was working on in the house. We asked the man working in the plumbing department a question about something we needed. The gentleman talked to me the whole time, ignoring my wife. Finally said, sir, my wife is doing all the work. I'm just making her a sandwich. You better talk to her. My wife proceeded to ask him a plumbing question that even he didn't know, and red-faced, he had to walk away and ask for help. The point being that never, ever underestimate the power and the skill of a woman and always treat them with the respect that they deserve. As a husband and as a father to two teenage daughters, I've learned that there is nothing that a woman can't do. Well, except to kill a spider. They still need me for that job. So here is to all the amazing women out there. Thank you for all that you do. And to my wife and kids, thank you for inspiring me each and every day. This is International Women's Day on 105.9 The Region. Haute Couture Academy of Fashion, Arts, and Design of Woodbridge proudly celebrates International Women's Day on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. This is a special International Women's Day edition of The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next woman supports the dreams of young people in science, technology, the skilled trades, and so much more. Afua Ba with Build a Dream. We are celebrating International Women's Day and we're talking to an organization that supports young women who want to pursue careers in STEM, entrepreneurship, politics, and a whole lot more. So joining me to chat today is Noor Hashem Fawaz, president and founder of 
We Build a Dream. Noor, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. I love talking about uh, organizations such as these that help uh, support and encourage young women. So uh, first off, talk to us about the organization. Yeah, wonderful. Um, So our organization focuses on trying to get young women into male-dominated industries. So some of the sectors that you highlighted um, were STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, the skill trades, emergency response, and entrepreneurship. Additionally, our fifth pillar focuses on advancing women in society. So we look at the important role um, women have in getting into leadership positions, politics, and athletics. Um, What we found throughout our years of uh, being in different communities is that the barriers that uh, young women are facing in accessing male-dominated industries are similar across the different sectors. So our goal is really to break down those barriers by building strong partnerships with the educational system, employers, but also bringing parents to the table to help their daughters make career-informed decisions. That is awesome. So tell me, what led you to creating this? Um, A number of reasons. So at the time, uh, we're from Windsor, Ontario. That's where the organization was founded. And I personally was working at a women's organization, helping women get off social assistance and into the workforce. And one one day, I put together a workshop where I invited over 300 of our clients to come learn about career pathways within the manufacturing sector. So predominantly, it would be the, uh, the skill trade. So machinists, engineers, welders, electricians. And only one of my clients showed up that was looking for a job. And that struck, struck me as odd, knowing that a lot of our clients were on social assistance and were really invested in their job search and wanting to get off the system. So we dug it a little bit deeper, and we found that uh, women are significantly underrepresented in the skilled trades and that there's a number of barriers preventing them from even considering them as potential options. So we worked on a collaborative uh, project where we wanted to better understand what are the influencing factors uh, that take place when a young woman makes a career decision. And what we found, which I'm sure is no surprise to many, is that parents are crucial players in the career discovery um, activities that young women will pursue. So we hosted our first event and invited parents and their daughters, along with industry, to come learn about these career pathways. But then we also featured female trailblazers across these different sectors to come uh, share their career journey and provide advice um, and encourage young women to consider those pathways. Um, And it was a huge success. So over the years, uh, the organization has significantly grown. In 2017, I decided to register it as a not-for-profit with the goal of taking our model across the province of Ontario. And now we're an organization that's across Canada. And we're beginning to see a significant shift in the mindset, not only of the young women, but in how parents view their role in helping their daughters discover career pathways in male-dominated industries. Wow. Okay. So first off, let me just maybe say thank you in case you already haven't heard it. Thank you for uh, just being that change and taking that step forward in uh, filling that gap, um, that clear gap that I guess uh, most people didn't maybe want to speak about at that point, but realizing that there was that gap and, and recognizing that it needed to be filled. So thank you for stepping up on that. You did touch on some of the the things that sort of are barriers, quote unquote, that keep women from uh, male dominated professions and um, some of the things that need to change. So then talk to me about some of the programs that you offer in order to help break those barriers. Yeah, of course. Our organization is very much an awareness organization and exploratory. So our motto is you can't make a career informed decision without having all the options presented to you along with the resources, tools, and network to make that informed decision. And one thing we know for sure is you can't be what you can't be. So it's very important for us to feature female role models in these different pathways, sharing their career journey and some of their challenges and their successes with um, young women 
so that a young woman can make that informed decision. But what we also found is that there's great um, value in bringing industry and educators to the same table to talk about what needs to be done at the educational level to build that pipeline, but then also what industry needs to do to help uh, create better recruitment efforts in not only attracting more females into the industry, but retaining them. So we talk to companies in a lot of ways about what different practices they can implement within their own organization, whether it's through their policies or procedures or the way that they go out and recruit and market certain positions, but it's important to change our approach and really address some of those barriers and promote more women within the industry and show that they're not only an employer that's uh, supporting diversity, but they're also supporting inclusive practices. How we do that is through our Signature Career Discovery Expo, where we work very closely with our educational partners as early as grade 7 all the way to grade 12. And we host an evening event that's very inspiring and motivating. And we bring parents and the young women to the table. And they learn about the different career pathways um, through industry partnerships that we have. So we have about 30 to 50 companies that show up to all of our events. We have the colleges and universities that provide hands-on activities for young women to really see what it's like to work with tools and machines. Um, And then we also have a panel of female role models that share their career journey. So essentially what we're hoping that young women walk away with is a greater sense of um, confidence that really gender should not play a role in decisions you make when it comes to career choices, that really you can be anything you want to be when you grow up, and that sometimes it's a matter of just having the, the confidence and the support to try something you otherwise may not have considered, and that it's okay that you fail because you have a huge support system that is going to help you get there. And the beauty of our organization is that we're able to start this discovery phase as early as grade 7, and there are so many amazing programs within the school board, like the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program, OEAP, co-op opportunities, experiential learning opportunities that allow you to start exploring these different career pathways and really decide on what they want to be without making a large investment in their post-secondary education and have that ability to explore these pathways and learn different skills as early as high school. So so you've, uh, I guess, or the organization rather, has mapped out a plan um, from, as you mentioned, as early as grade 7, so that's kids who are in maybe 12, 13 years old, right up to post-secondary to really help them uh, carve out the best career path possible for them and just to help them know that anything is possible. What has been some of the feedback that you've heard about the organization helping young women? Yeah, one of my favorite uh, stories to share is walking through the Career Discovery Expo in Windsor, Ontario in 2019 and seeing women, hearing their stories of women that have come to our events in previous years, were recruited by the employers that come out to the event, and now they're, they're, they're using their stories to recruit more young women into the industry. So, for example, um, the Carpenters Union is a huge supporter of Build a Dream, and they went from one female um, on their job site to just to over 12 females on the job site in a year and a half which is a dramatic change for the construction industry. So my favorite part of being in this role and and leading this organization is truly seeing the difference we're making in young women's lives, shaping industry to be more diverse and inclusive, but also knowing that when we're helping one young woman in accessing a very viable, successful career pathway, she's going to pay that forward. Uh, a lot of the panelists that we have now at at our events were previous um, young women in high school that 
essentially chose to go into STEM, skill trades, or emergency response by coming to Build a Dream and met some phenomenal employers that invested in their career journey, and now they're great um, success stories, and they are ambassadors to our organization. Are there any programs that the organization will be offering in the GTA this year? Yeah, um, we have actually five different events happening in the GTA area. One that is happening in the York region at Le Park on May 6th, and it's in the evening. Again, the event is free to parents and their daughters. Uh, They can register on our website. If there are companies listening or associations listening that are really trying to diversify their workforce and really wanting to build their pipeline, um, they can all go to our website at www.webuildadream.com. And all of our five events are posted on our website and they could register. Um, and again, these uh, uh, events are made possible because of our strong partnerships with school boards within uh, across Ontario, but also through the great support of some of our um, corporate sponsors like Enbridge, Ellis Dawn, Next Dimension, who are very progressive in saying that if we really want to build the, the, the future skills and we really want to bridge the talent shortage, we need to start as early as high school. It, it, it's much earlier than we, need, we had to traditionally uh, start in the past. But what we're finding is if there is this skill trade shortage um, and this talent shortage, we need to build that pipeline so that they have access to that talent. And we cannot forget the other 50% of the population, which is young women. So it's very crucial for our organization to continuously not only um, raise the awareness, but really work closely with our partners to see what else could we do collectively to help support young women in making that career-informed decision. And I have to say, young women say their lives have been changed by the impact that our organization has had um, for them because they were connected with the tools, resources, and network to make that informed decision. And then finally, before I let you go, this has been such a great conversation. Of course, this is all uh, leading up to International Women's Day that we're celebrating. What does International Women's Women's Day mean to you and the organization? And what is your message to women? Definitely. um, This year's theme for International Women's Day is Each for Equal. And I often share my personal story about being raised by a single mother of four who didn't finish high school and went into the workforce for the first time um, with no work experience 14 years ago and really struggled to make it in, in the workforce and ended up starting her own company selling motor oil and car parts. So I saw firsthand and lived that experience of not having the financial security as a single mother of four to support your children. And for me, International Women's Day means that we need to really have bold action. We really need to make this a lifetime commitment and address the barriers that women are facing and not to get caught up in the amazing progress we have. We should always celebrate the progress, but there's a lot more work to be done. And for the organization, we are leading in the change that we want to see happen. So as an organization, International Women's Day means celebrating the amazing women that have paved the way for us and the male champions that continue to support this um, work in equality and diversity, but also recognizing what we all need to do to take action to hopefully create a better, um, greater opportunities for young women to succeed in all areas of their life. And your personal message to young women out there. You can do it. I, I often say, and I, and I hope that as an organization we lead by example, that um, you can actually accomplish anything uh, you put your mind to and that gender should never be the barrier that's preventing you from accessing these pathways. And although there will be struggles and challenges and barriers along the way, surround yourself with the right mentors and role models because there are so many people that are willing to help. And I found that in my work through Build Dream in recognizing that 
I don't have a hard time finding female role models that want to lend a hand to support the future generation. So my message to young women is that we truly believe in your potential. And one of our sayings is, once you showcase to a young woman the power of her potential, that power can never be undone. So I hope that the young women listening to this and celebrating International Women's Day see that they truly have the answers and the ability to build communities and build our future for the better. Noor, you said everything perfectly. I can't add anything else to that. All I can say is just thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak with you today and um, continue to um, champion the cause of encouraging and supporting young women out there and letting them know that anything truly is possible. Noor, thank you so much. Thank you so much, and happy International Women's Day. International Women's Day on 105.9 The Region. Is spring cleaning on your mind? Let the professionals at Messy Made make short order of your cleaning needs. Get the people you can trust to put the shine back in your home or business. Go to MessyMade.com to arrange a quote. It's a classic whodunit and you're on the case. Evergreen Hospice presents an evening of fun, frivolity and murder. Thursday, March 26th at the Angus Glen Golf Club Mansion. Mr. Black's been murdered and there are six suspects. The mystery begins. Be wary of the staff. Revel in the evening's live music, dancing, clues and distractions. Your support to Evergreen Hospice provides no charge services for those dealing with life-threatening illness, caregiver stress and grief in our community. Join the fun and bring your investigative team. The case file and event tickets are available now at evgcares.org. What does International Women's Day mean to you? Hi, I'm Amber Pay. And International Women's Day means to me support from just about everywhere. I was very fortunate. I had a very supportive mother and I admired the fact that she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but did work when she had to. Before her, my grandmother Her motto was, a going foot is always getting, and she got. And prior to her, my great-grandmother was a pharmacist. Think about that in the early 1900s, a woman pharmacist, very proud. For me, I began working at the age of 11. I was always supported by my family with that, and I had a lot of support with people who mentored me in the field of acting. As I got older, I had great friends by my side, solid, strong women who I'm still very happy to call my friends 40-some-odd years later. Other than that, in the working world, I had female bosses that inspired me, encouraged me, and directed me into a great career of radio. As I step forward now here at 105.9 The Region, I am honored to be part of a company that celebrates women to the highest level. Our owner, Deborah McLaughlin, woman. My boss, Tina Cortez, an incredible woman who has a very long history in media. I have an afternoon show surrounded by great young talent. Afwaba, Shaliza Bacchus, both proudly women of color. And I'm happy that we are all together with different views on life, pulled together to make a fantastic radio show. To me, International Women's Day means inclusion, support, encouragement. We lift each other up. That's how I've always viewed women. I've always loved my sisters. Happy International Women's Day. 
Haute Couture Academy of Fashion, Arts, and Design of Woodbridge proudly celebrates International Women's Day on 105.9 The Region. We continue our focus on International Women's Day with a one-on-one with the MP from Markham Thornhill, Mary Eng. Next on the feed, we are looking at the business of banking and making it as a woman. Rena Pilateri, RBC Royal Bank Regional Vice President Retail Banking, joins us now with her story. And I say that, Rena, as opposed to his story, her story. It makes sense on International Women's Day. Thanks for joining us. Sincere pleasure, Anne. Thank you for having me. You are much more than what I've just said. Can you expand on what your role is as uh, the Vice President Retail Banking in regional sense? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. So I've been part of the RBC family for 32 years. And uh, this particular role that I have responsibility for has responsibility for our retail banking branches uh, within a certain area of the 416-905 area. And that includes Vaughan, Township of Caledon, uh, King Township, um, and New Tecumseh, and some uh, of our locations within the uh, Toronto uh, city of the 416 area. And uh, it's just wonderful to be able to be out in the community and help our clients, help our community, and uh, really lead our employees uh, to continued success in helping uh, others. It's been a long journey for you, and I hope an exciting one, but I'm sure challenges as well. Let's go back in time. How did you start the journey in the banking business? It's incredible, and that a friend of mine called me up and said, I was majoring in accounting at school as a student. And she had called me upset in saying that RBC was hiring client advisors at the front line. Uh, and back in the day, we all obviously called them tellers. And I was already working as a, a co-op student in an accounting firm. And then I thought I was going to be an accountant. And here I am thinking about banking and accounting and numbers. And I thought, you know what? I'll miss 100% of the shots I don't take. Let me go for this interview and see if I can get hired part-time. And there I was. And I thought that I would have never made a career out of banking, and yet I got hired and absolutely loved it. And I think what in- intrigued me the most was the interaction with people from a banking perspective, because we were seeing so many people come in, all with life events happening in their lives, and I was there to help them figure out what was best for them. And it really just evolved over time with regards to once I graduated, how I chose RDC as a career path versus taking the career path, which I thought was going to be on the accounting stream. So three decades ago, it was a very different time. And I know that I have shared this story before. I was with a different bank. I was newly separated. I wanted to get a loan. And they, I was told by that particular bank, not RBC, that I needed to have a co-signer because I was a woman and I was newly separated. So those were challenging times for women. How did you break through barriers at RBC to continue your momentum forward? I have to say, and that RBC is wonderful then and now with regards to making sure that we are mentoring our people. And I've been blessed to have great mentors throughout my career. And I now have that great opportunity to pay that forward in mentoring so many others. And I think that's what really inspired me to continue my journey with RBC because my experience with RBC is extensive. Uh, I had uh, originally started in retail banking, then went into commercial banking. I was vice president uh, of commercial banking in our Mississauga area. I have national office experience. I was the national director for business markets and the women's market, uh, and then came back out into the field in the front line uh, 
to uh, head up our retail banking strategy uh, in the area that I'm in now. So it, it is only because of the mentorships that I've been able to enjoy both internally here at RBC and also externally with some other individuals that I found very impactful that were willing to take me under their wing and provide me the mentorship to really help guide me on where I wanted to go. Did you ever face discrimination, sexism, chauvinism on your way up through the ranks of RBC Royal Bank? Internally, no. Um, You know, with uh, situations uh, coming across You know, with clients, for example, I found that, for example, um, in commercial banking, uh, when I first joined, there wasn't a lot of commercial account managers that were women. And I found that a bit challenging at first. And when I I, I joined commercial banking, I inherited a, a construction portfolio of clients. And my family happens to be in construction, so I was extremely comfortable with, uh, with the construction industry. And I, I found it difficult at first for clients to better understand that I was there to help them. But I quickly broke through that. Clients really appreciated my knowledge and my experience and my advice I was giving to them. Um, and, and I think that was kind of a bond that I was able to break through with our, with our clients. And of course, the majority of our customers at the time uh, were, were male uh, clients in the construction industry. And so that was definitely a learning journey. But I've been so blessed to see that that has really evolved because we have that much more uh, of a female tenure within our commercial banking stream. Uh, and we have done a tremendous job within RBC in making sure that our percentages of females uh, in senior leaders uh, has really grown from 2014 till now. Uh, it's been just an, a tremendous success. There was an ad campaign years ago. You've come a long way, baby. That was the ad campaign. The slogan, you may or may not remember it, and you certainly have come a long way. What do you say to perhaps uh, people who want to enter the banking field uh, as, as women, whatever their age, what do you say to them in terms of advice and support? Yes, I would say that there is tremendous opportunity. We are extremely diverse and inclusive at RBC. And again, there is so much more uh, things that we need to consider and do as we continuously break the glass ceiling. So I would encourage all, you know, to build, to continuously build that confidence. That mentorship is huge. Uh, surround yourselves with people that have diverse experiences and take it all in. You know, it, again, if um, you don't try different things, you'll not, you'll, you'll not be sure what uh, you're missing and uh, to not be fearful to try. Rina Pilateri, what does International Women's Day mean to you personally? It's an incredible opportunity for us all and you and I and including my, you know, my daughter who's 21, for all of us to really be ambassadors for each other and to really lift the opportunity to help one another, make sure that we're continuing to make great progress because we have so much to offer the world. And I think it's a time to celebrate not only in March, where we celebrate International Women's Day, but every day. And that's what it means to me. Rena Pilateri, RBC Royal Bank, Regional Vice President, Retail Banking, and also recent recipient of the RBC Global Citizen Award. Thank you for taking the time to join us on the feed. Thank you so very much, Anne. 105.9 The Region celebrates International Women's Day. We continue our focus on International Women's Day with a one-on-one with the MP from Markham Thornhill, Mary Eng. 
Minister Ng, my first question is, what does International Women's Day mean to you? International Women's Day is, uh, is an incredible day. Um, and, uh, and I would say that uh, a good day to, uh, to mark the accomplishments that have been made, but to also talk about what work still has to be done. As uh, Canada's minister responsible for both small business but also for international trade, I have the opportunity of leading Canada's uh, first-ever women's entrepreneurship strategy on International Women's Day and certainly throughout uh, and beyond. We're going to celebrate uh, the accomplishments by female entrepreneurs. So we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, recognize the accomplishments that have been made, but also acknowledge the work that has to be done and uh, to celebrate some of the progress that, uh, that, is, uh, that is underway. As you just mentioned, the work that has to be done, if you can talk to me just a little bit about um, maybe what you find that the federal government or Canada in general has to do uh, more in order to propel women forward. Well, I'll speak about uh, my file. Um, as I said, I lead Canada's first ever women's entrepreneurship strategy. It's a $2 billion investment to help double the number of female entrepreneurs in our country by 2025. And you ask why? Well, Canadian businesses make up 99, Canadian small and medium sized businesses make up 99% of all our businesses. And yet only 16% are women owned and women led. We know from studies that if we were to add women to our economy, we can add up to $150 billion to the Canadian economy in by 2026. So I have a goal given to me by the Prime Minister to double the number of female entrepreneurs. We are well on our way of, uh, of working to create ecosystems of support, mentorship, creating more capital opportunities for women-owned businesses, women-led businesses. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to working to increase the number of female entrepreneurs in our country. You hold such an important portfolio uh, in the federal government. If you can just talk to me about uh, just uh, how you've seen uh, the growth in terms of the women in politics and working along, uh, alongside so many women, not just in parliament um, in general, but holding uh, important portfolios as well. I think it's really important. Um, you need to see it to be it. And as the member of parliament for Markham Thornhill, I have a very diverse uh, uh, community, a very diverse writing. It's really important that uh, young women and young girls see as uh, someone like me holding, um, holding public office, like being a member of parliament, so that for them it is possible and that they see the, the contributions that, uh, that we are making. I work alongside a cabinet table led by the Prime Minister, where half my colleagues are men and the other half are women. The conversations, the discussions are dynamic, and we bring a diversity of views that really help better decision-making in this country. So um, to have the opportunity to hold public office and to have a leadership role in uh, civic society, I think um, is, uh, is a demonstration for young people and for the future that, uh, that, that this is absolutely something that, uh, that they can and should be a part of. Okay, and then a final twofold question. What is your message then to women either thinking about pursuing a career in politics, whether they're maybe in high school or they're maybe in post-secondary and thinking, should, is this right for me? Uh, what's your message to them? My message is get involved, whether it is in high school or at university or in post-secondary 
or um, or if you are working. There are ample opportunities. You can get involved in the student uh, political clubs or a student club. You can volunteer at, um, at uh, any local office, whether it is at the municipal level, the provincial level, or at the federal level. Get involved and, uh, and, and see if it's, if it's the right thing for you. Uh, participation is, um, participation is, uh, is the perfect way to start. And then finally, what is your message to women in general uh, for this International Women's Day? It's the same message. Get involved, pay it forward, and um, and I think what we all can do is that we can all do that one thing that lifts someone else up. Perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. All right. Joining me to chat today, uh, Minister of Small Business and International Trade, as well as Mar- uh, MP for Markham Thornhill, Minister Mary Ng, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you so very much. A special International Women's Day edition of The Feed. We continue to celebrate International Women's Day here on The Feed. Chief Darren Ritzi, Fire Chief Vaughn, Fire and Rescue Service, joins us with her story. You know, a lot of little boys grow up wanting to be firefighters. Do little girls dream of that profession as well? We are absolutely starting to see that. So we see it through social media with moms saying, um, I've, uh, my daughter has never seen a female driving uh, or a female firefighter driving a truck. Can you show us pictures? And we'll post that on social media. Um, we're seeing young girls in, in the school system. And now we have camps for young women as well, female firefighter camps. So we are starting to see that. Quite honestly, I wasn't one of those girls that thought I was going to grow up to be a firefighter. I followed in my parents' footsteps. Both of them are teachers. My older sister is a teacher. My grandmother's a teacher. I never expected to transition into the fire service. So how did it happen? So I was teaching, and um, at that particular time, I was very active, and I thought, I need to be outside of these four walls, and I need to do something a little bit more active. I wanted to be involved with my community, and Von Fire was hiring. Um, I had to go through an interview, a written test, physical fitness. Out of 1,500 to 2,000 applicants, somehow I landed a job, uh, one of 19, and uh, and I entered the fire service, and that is where my story began. And what a story it is. So let's talk about being a firefighter. And, you know, you were in the trenches, uh, on the front lines. What, what was that experience like for you, physically and emotionally? Um, I absolutely love the fire service and anyone in the fire service will tell you that it is the best job in the world. You're out in the community, you're out making a difference every single day. I was very fortunate that my career revolved around technical rescue. I spent a lot of time at the hazmat hall, hazardous materials response hall, uh, rope rescue hall. So we did Stokes basket rescue, high angle rescue, uh, low angle rescue, um, the trench rescue truck, confined space rescue, uh, the squad. So a lot of my uh, a lot of my career revolved around technical rescue. So really incredible situations that people managed to get themselves in through no fault of their own. Um, but to be there on the front lines and to, and to do that job and, and the work that we do, it's been incredible. The training involved in something like this must be also be quite overwhelming sometimes, but very, very necessary. And it takes a great intellect to be able to sort of figure all of this out and learn and understand. When it, when it became not practice, but it actually happened, what was that like for you to actually be a part of rescuing somebody, saving their lives? When you're actually in the moment, you're just focusing on the job that you do. Obviously, when you, when you leave and you 
go back to the station and reflect on it. That's where everything um, sinks in. But um, obviously on the scene, you're just, uh, you have a lot of SOGs that we're following, a lot of policies and procedures to ensure, obviously, the firefighter safety, plus also the citizen rescue. Um, so a lot of it is is fairly uh, procedure, procedural, um, but uh, it's a it's obviously great, again, to, to make a difference. You joined uh, Vaughn Fire in 2001, so it's been 19 years. What was the attitude of, you know, I guess your fellow firefighters and also the community, the public, when they saw that you were a firefighter? Um, I, d- I don't believe that I, I got treated any different being a, a, wo- a woman, but I do remember at one point in time, um, we had a truck and our captain was a female, the driver was a female, and I was in the back, also a female, and then we had one male firefighter on the back with me as well. And I remember we pulled up to the mall and there was uh, some young women that came around the truck, very excited to see the firefighters coming off. And then as we came off, you know, I don't know if it was disappointment, but it was much, very much a surprise when they saw three female firefighters coming off the truck. I bet you changed that attitude, though, very quickly when you spoke with them, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, people are, are very interested in, in the job, and as long as you're approachable and friendly, um, the members of, of the community want to, you know, understand what it is to be a firefighter. And at the end of the day, we are all people that put on bunker gear, put on our breathing apparatus, and we're willing to put our life on the line for others, whether you're a male or a female. What does it take? to be a firefighter? What is it in you and every other firefighter so dedicated to the profession? So uh, the firefighters that we hire, they have to demonstrate the three key components that we look for, trust, accountability, and dedication. And they can demonstrate that through um, past work experience. They can demonstrate that, obviously, in the uh, interview when we're interacting with them. Um, and then once they get on the job, we obviously, we're, we're always watching and monitoring what our firefighters are doing. But they are just such wonderful, uh, a wonderful group of people, so committed to our community, both on the job and off the job. So we have uh, the VPFFA, our association. They do so much work in the community community on their days off in terms of the um, the boot drive that they do. They've done a calendar of multiple years, raising over um, each year over $25,000 for the hospital. Their goal is $100,000. So um, we're very proud of the work that our firefighters do, not only while they're here and um, working for us during their shift, but also what they do outside of their work time. Chief, can you describe for me and for our listeners, because we're, we're all fascinated by what you do and who you are, can you describe in detail a rescue? What happened, where you were, what the equipment was that was being used, what had taken place? The one that I definitely vividly remember, it was the fire on Sonoma Heights Boulevard. And when we arrived, um, it was uh, quite a long response time. It was in a a period of time where we had a truck over in the Woodbridge area, um, and we had to commute quite a long ways because we didn't have our our 7-9 district at that particular time. So when we arrived on scene, the house was fully involved. We spoke to the neighbors. The neighbors knew the family was away on vacation, but they were 
unsure if the grandmother was there. And the grandmother had a second floor uh, contained apartment upstairs. And so it meant we needed to make entry. We always do a risk-benefit analysis to determine whether we're going to make entry. If there is a savable life, we will enter that home. And so the captain makes that decision at that particular time. My captain was Jack Thompson. We packed up. Um, we had another crew coming in right behind us. Our crew, my captain, another firefighter, myself, we made our way up to the second floor. So my job was to pull the hose up the stairs, but also the uh, the crew on the main floor um, pulling in their hose. So up and down the stairs, pulling hose in for, for both crews. I remember it's, it was just like the movies with the flames rolling over overhead and it was getting really hot. And I remember hearing some yelling, um, you know, from a few feet in front of me. And next thing you know, uh, the captain and the firefighters come down. Um, both crews had to bail out of the house literally 30 seconds later, if if not maybe a minute, the second floor collapsed. And it was one of those things that the captain came out, his, his ear was burnt. Uh, I think the other firefighter was a little bit burnt as well. Um, but that was the closest um, that I have seen on, on the job. We, we've had other firefighters that have had similar situations, not on, on my platoon, but on different platoons. So there is uh, there are times when we, we get very close. Obviously, um, we try and uh, determine when it is when those firefighters get pulled out. And your mission is to save a life, but also preserve your own and your, your platoon. Absolutely, yes. So lots of steps to get to chief. Um, what were they, those steps? Um, it was interesting when I was a captain. I was only three months as a captain, and my platoon chief encouraged me to put my resume forward. And he said, it's always good to have a seat at the table. Just let senior management or let the senior command team know who you are. And so I, I was a little concerned thinking, well, what are they going to think? I've only been a captain for a few months. And I did. I put my resume forward. It was four rounds of interviews. Uh, the first two were with a recruiter, the next two with the internal senior leadership team. And the very last, uh, the last um, interview, I had to do a functional review of the department. We had two weeks to do it and then a presentation. Well, I come from a very academic background. So a presentation and a report is probably my best forte. And so I was very confident going in. And um, obviously, I was incredibly surprised that I landed the job, um, but very fortunate um, that I did. And so while I worked as a deputy fire chief, I was able to get uh, other experience as well, and and you mentioned some of it um, when we were talking earlier. I was elected as the uh, Ontario Association of Fire Chiefs Board of Director, and then I was elected later on Ontario Association Fire Chiefs uh, Vice President. So um, there are 437 fire departments in the province, and I was representing those uh, those fire chiefs for a number of years, and now I'm the International Association of Fire Chiefs HR, so the only Canadian chair for the International Association of Fire Chiefs. So I, I, I live and breathe my job, absolutely. <laughs> Why you, do you think? You know, and, and this is going to be said with the greatest respect, woman to woman, mm -hmm. uh, why you? You're obviously very good at your job and totally committed and you are physically right for it. You are emotionally, intellectually right for it. Would some of this have been because you're a woman or was that a to your detriment as you were moving through the ranks? No, it was interesting. Over this uh, this 
past week, I've been listening to a number of different people speaking for International Women's Day. And the one thing that I've actually noticed is the commonality is that we've all uh, identified that being a woman has actually, in a non-traditional uh, field, has actually been to our benefit. And I think it's the women that take advantage uh, of that situation in, in terms of look for the opportunities that it, it presents itself. So when I walk into a room at a conference, everyone knows my name. I was just recently down in Vancouver. I was speaking at a conference uh, down there about labor relations, arbitration, grievances, that sort of thing. And uh, keep in mind, I've never been out west to speak. I don't know any fire chiefs out west. And as soon as I walked into an area where there was chiefs, I could hear them say, and I was in civilian clothes. I had just arrived from the airport and I could hear them say, oh, there's you know, um, the fire chief from Vaughan. So it's interesting. I can walk, uh, I can walk into any room. Um, obviously it, it provides me a platform, not only locally, nationally, but it has also internationally provided me a platform to be able to speak about topics, about life and fire safety, about diversity and inclusion, about active shooters, about leadership. I'm able to speak about a, a number of different topics. And, uh, I think it's actually been very beneficial for me. And you've earned it, and much more to come. Thank you. Chief Darren Ritzi, thank you so much for joining us on the feed. And we talk at length about International Women's Day, and you're a great example of, of how far we've come. Thank you so much. 105.9 The Region Music celebrates International Women's Day. My daddy makes sure that kids like me are safe and warm. He makes windows and doors. That gets rid of drafts, provides security, and adds style to your home or office. My daddy says that not all doors and windows are equal. At Wintech, they make the best so people save money and get real value. My daddy has never lied to me, so if you need new windows or doors, go to Wintech.ca and ask for a free quote. And when he calls you, tell him Maya sent you. Go to Wintech.ca today. Someone you know and love is lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, questioning, or two-spirit. At PFLAG, York Region's LGBTQ2 Support, Resource, and Education Network, we are there to help those who have questions or concerns about sexual orientation or gender identity and expression and to connect our diverse communities. Hi, I'm Michael Blackburn, and I'd like to invite you to one of PFLAG's coffee nights. Join us on the second Monday of every month at Aurora Public Library or every fourth Wednesday of the month in Richmond Hill. Come listen, support, share, and connect with members of the LGBTQ2 community and their allies. Everyone is welcome. Visit pflagyork.ca for details. What does International Women's Day mean to you? I'm Patrick Reynolds, 105.9 The Region videographer and York24-7.com manager. And International Women's Day means a great deal to me because women have played such an important role in my life developing my character. First, my mom, a steady but stern woman. My partner, my personal organizer and steady rock. And the many women I've worked with over the years, including my new co-workers right here at 105.9 The Region. And, of course, my two young but inspiring daughters. I love you very much. International Women's Day on 105.9 The Region. I salute you all. Enjoy. Zankin Auto Group celebrates International Women's Day on 105.9 The Region. Let's shift gears to the entertainment industry next on our special International Women's Day edition of The Feed. Music coordinator Christina Lavecchia with OCAN. Oh, 
in studio is Elizabeth Rodriguez and Magdalis Savigny, yes. who are members of the 2020 Juno nominated group Ocon. Yeah, yes, got it. Oh, got it. <laughs> Ocon is nominated for World Music Album of the Year for Sombras. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being here and congratulations. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much us. for having us. Happy, really happy, happy. So what does sombras mean? Well, the actual uh, translation is shadow. So um, it is a song from our Afro-Cuban religion. And um, we just made this arrangement to that chant that you sing in, before every religious ceremony, every our religion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, ceremony to call upon your ancestors for guidance and protection. So it's for dead, dead people, you know? So that's why we call it sombras, because of the shadows and that kind of mystery. Yeah, in our religion, the dead guide you through life, and they become your guardian angels. So those songs are for them, like in the start of the ceremony and the ending as well. And working as a duo, how was it working together in terms of coming up with a concept and coming up with the songs that you'll be using for the album? We created Orkan, the two of us, but we count with amazing musicians to play with. We have Orkan usually performs as a five-piece band. Uh, We have piano, we have drums, and we have bass, but we are the ones that lead lead them, right? So, coming up with a concept, it's I don't think we did such a thing. It was just, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just being honest. Uh, we had a few songs already in place and then we just kept creating more stuff and then we just put that together. But also with Okan, what happens is that we don't play in a specific genre. We go through all this spectrum of Cuban different genres. That's why, because our culture is very rich. So you cannot find one song similar to another song in that and that's our thing as well Mm -hmm. just to touch base with many other genres yeah Um, everybody brings their own ideas Uh, I love that so we create the songs but then everybody puts their own flavor into it Mm -hmm. so that's one of the main things for Okan as well like uh, make sure that the musicians have uh, creativity freedom and also put out their uh, women uh, in terms of composing women leaders, women composers, and we play their music as well, and we make arrangements of it to have, uh, give them name mm-hmm. and get them known out there. And the album is beautiful. I've been listening, oh. listening to it all Thank week, you. so it's, it's really beautiful, yeah. Thank you so much. And if someone were to listen to your music or the mm-hmm. album for the first time, what can they expect? Variety. One thing that we have to say is that a lot of people, especially here in North America, when they hear Cuban, they think salsa or I don't know nowadays if if that person is younger <laughs> that person will think reggaeton <laughs> but then or Buena Vista Social Club <laughs> so what you can expect is that it's not going to be any of that <laughs> it's not going to be salsa it's not going to be reggaeton and it's not going to be African you know um, Buena Vista Social Club we have influences from our culture, Afro-Cuban music, but also from the other side of the um, ancestors, also from Spain as well. We have one song there called Mil Palabras that is a mix of a son, which is a genre um, from Santiago de Cuba, but also mixed with flamenco, which is from Spain. And uh, we have all of that in our culture and we're just trying to use that. So. We play son, we play the Afro-Cuban chants, but with a lot of heavy 
jazz influence into it. Um, we had influences from from Brazil Brazilian music, like Mas Que Nada was a song from Robertina Morales, uh, which is a composer that not many people know in Cuba, but she's amazing. And we just made that arrangement. It was a bolero, which is like softer, a kind of ballad. And we turned it into this Brazilian uppity song that everybody really likes. Um, and we have Quick Stop, which is a song that Max wrote in her first winter in Canada and is for violin and percussion. That is, it has to be more with our classical training because we were classical musicians once in Cuba. Um, but also the fiddle influences I was receiving here while I moved to Canada, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's impossible not to be um, influenced. influenced by the many cultures that Canada has to offer. So we we have a lot of that in our city as well. So we are like the new Cubans. So we're still Cuban, but now we are Torontonians and, <laughs> and we are receiving that influence at Toronto. So short answer would yeah. be... 21st century Cuban music, which is Cuban music evolved into other things, you but also <laughs> made by Cubans that don't live in Cuba anymore. So mm -hmm. they have all their other influences as well. But <laughs> also the fact that when you're new in a town, in a country, especially, um, you have to do anything in order to survive, right? So in my case, for example, I remember I just played classical music most of the time until I came to Canada. And people see a Cuban in me and they expect me to play Cuban music. They don't expect me to play Bach or Vivaldi or Beethoven or whatever. Uh, so that immigration made me do that shift and go into my own roots. But also because it's something that you miss more, more once you're <laughs> outside. One of those things as immigrants that we have. Um, so having to come to Canada made me closer to Cuban music. So I have to say that. But Max was always playing more Cuban music and Afro-Cuban stuff. But in her case, for example, playing the bata drums, which are sacred for our religion, even though we don't play the sacred drums, we just play the, the artistic ones. Uh, it was really difficult for her in Cuba to play those. But here in Canada, people are more open open and, and less judging <laughs> yeah to for me because women are not supposed to play those instruments no. but i play them and i've received like all, all my life uh the backlash of people criticism my videos on youtube and everything about mm. a woman playing these drums oh you shouldn't be playing those and and stuff but um now it's different canada is different people here don't judge you for that This weekend is International Women's Day. And, you know, I kind of want to get your perspective. As women in the industry, do you find it hard to navigate in an industry that's predominantly male-dominated? What have your experiences been like? Yeah, I don't like to think of me as a woman navigating in the world of men. Like, we know yeah. that since we're born. Yeah. So I try not to think about that and just do what I want to do mm -hmm. and the best way I can do it. I don't want people yeah. to see me and, oh, that's a woman. Oh, we're, we're going to give her this opportunity because she's a woman. I want them to give me the opportunity because I can do it right. Mm -hmm. And and I can do the best I can. Um, that competition will always be, uh, it's, really sad that it happens right and that uh, we have less opportunity but that's the thing if we have more opportunity we could just be out there same as men you know like mm -hmm. some women are doing it and not thinking about oh i'm i'm a woman i should do no you have to sacrifice twice mm -hmm. if that's what it takes yeah, yeah. i i think 
No women, excuses. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Women find it in the music business, for example, where I see that it gets really, really challenging. Mm. It's as soon as women have kids because you definitely have to step back, go home for a little while, take care of the kids. But mm. the, the moment you disappear from the scene, everybody forgets about you. And then it's really, ba really, really hard to get back into it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people lose opportunities because they disappear for a year or m maybe even six months. So that's when women really, really, really need to find um, support from other women, maybe mm -hmm. support from everybody else, right? Right after they have kids. Because um, I think it's unfair that because you took that time off, and it's not off, let's start with that. Yeah, it's <laughs> They're a second job. <laughs> it's a second job that it, it's actually 24-7. Yeah. Um, you take the time off from uh, your music career, it's, it's not fair that then when you come back, it's like, oh, you lost your spot. or It's really, really difficult. We're just asking people and the world to see us the same way. It's just talent, same opportunity for both. And, and then just to keep having opportunities once you're like back in, in business. Do you have any advice for young girls looking to get into the industry? Be tough. Like, it's not easy. It's a really tough road, but don't give up. I know it's not the highest paid job in the world. Like, we both live on music. It's not recommended in this city. It's very expensive to do that. But, you know, it's not impossible. We're doing it. Don't give up. Keep doing your thing. Try to get better every time. And that's it. I don't know. If you need a hug, call me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have a lot to celebrate. Are you are you off to uh, Saskatchewan for the oh awards? My God, yeah. yeah, we're going. <laughs> when are we going? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. we're leaving on Wednesday night. I think. Are you looking forward to meeting anybody while you're there? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Meet everybody. <laughs> meet the other people. I mean, the other artists. I'll be. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I don't know, hear their experiences and meet new people. It's, it's always nice. I know. Right? The, 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 the I love the we Junos. We have to it's say that the Junos. The way that Canada treats their musicians and their artists and the Junos is way better than the Grammys. Yeah, we've been to this. both. And trust <laughs> me, the Junos are better. This is not the first time you've been um, nominated for a Juno yeah. or even won one. So you've, yeah. but you've that was part of another project. So mm -hmm. this one is um, your first. This is our baby. It feels way better. Because this is like something we really did and mm -hmm. we we created, and we have worked so hard for the last three years. This is already an award for mm -hmm. us. So no matter what happens, we feel like winners because like this is paying off for all those endless nights and the emails and organizing mm -hmm. tours and everything and getting musicians together and mm -hmm. uh, and grant applications and <laughs> factory <reports>, reports, factory <laughs> reports and what have you. But and it feels great already and no matter what, like this is I feel like I won already. <laughs> so once the uh, Junos are done, are you looking forward to any other projects? What can listeners look forward to? Well, our next CD, Ooh. Espiral, will be out in June. We are trying right now to record some videos. We're looking for, if possible, female um, directors because we, we really like to support our, our women out there because, you know, just to give more opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to get uh, a couple of videos and Espiral is coming out. It's going to be a very strong CD. It's like heavy, heavy, heavy. <laughs> but uh, it was a lot of fun. We took our time recording it. Um, 
And then we have a summer tour that we already have about 20 dates. Wow. So we have some some dates. Yeah, it's coming <laughs> together and we need more, especially in August. So if you're listening, uh, we're looking for dates in August uh, in Canada. If listeners want to connect with you online or find more information, once you have all your dates settled, where can they find you? They can find us online at okanmusica.com. So okan, O-K-E-A-N, and then music but with an A at the end, like musica in Spanish, dot com. And then you find there our contact, the contacts, but also you find the lyrics of our songs and, and you can write us that we check our emails. You can get this CD as well. Yep. Congratulations again on the Juno nomination. Thank you. The Junos are taking place on Sunday, March 15th. Best of luck. You will do amazing. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It'll be fun. To hear and see the rest of Ocon's live performance from right here in our studios, be sure to head on over to york24-7.com. Zankin Auto Group celebrates International Women's Day on 105.9 The Region. Julie Black joins us now on the feed. We're talking about International Women's Day. You know, Julie, some people wish that there didn't have to be a day to mark women's successes and, and challenges. How do you feel about International Women's Day? Well, I call it International Women's Life. I've, re- I've recoined it. Um, I think it's, it's awesome to have the whole world vibrationally thinking about the same thing at the same time. That's no different than Christmas or Easter or any other holiday. Um, I think those who are against it need to ask themselves, why, really? And I, there's nothing, there, it's, it's only positive to come out of International Women's Day. And I, think that it, I think even more so, I think it's more to bring the women together than to have the world see that, yeah, sometimes we are, we're one of a couple women in boardrooms or all the other things that we know that the dial needs to be moved on. I really think it's more so the women coming together. That's we, we have work to do in that regard. Have you had challenges as a rising star? You are there now. You are a superstar. But along the way, as, as a younger woman uh, in a country that is fairly open to uh, diversity, we still have a long way to go, in my opinion, did you face challenges, Julie? Oh, yeah. I mean, I faced challenges as far as being... Like there's some like even being five foot eleven as a as a teen and even now there's people who would mistake my height and my body for being intimidating or being you know aggressive and I'm like I can't help my size for example so imagine that on top of being black imagine that on top of being smart on top of so there was just certain things that but I didn't let that hold me back and it didn't let me become angry in fact it it really my mom taught me that when you have opposition it means that you're great and so it just gave me more confirmation. Sounds to me like your mother is and has been a tremendous influence in your life. Yes, she has. God rest her soul. Yeah. And what do you say to young people uh, and, uh, you know, who look up to you but also stand with you as you move through your career and you're doing all kinds of things? You've wrapped a, a amazingly, an amazingly successful uh, musical uh, production called Carolina Change. It was outstanding at the Winter Garden Theater. So what do you say to people who want to learn from you, whatever age and stage they're at? I say to dial up your resilience and um, to... Wake up from your dream. Wake up. It's one thing to dream a dream, but you, you're sleeping when you're dreaming. Wake up and actualize it, you know, and um, 
to really work on, uh, for me, I work on confidence more so than anything else. I think confidence is currency. <laughs> I hear that you are being called to one of your many performances, the things you do. Julie, thank you so much for joining us and happy International Women's Day. You rock. You rock too. Thank you. Right back at you. Thanks, Julie. Bye bye. Bye bye. Haute Couture Academy of Fashion, Arts, and Design of Woodbridge proudly celebrates International Women's Day on 105.9 The Region. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com for a replay. We continue our celebration of International Women's Day with one woman's story of supporting her husband's lifelong dream. Jim Lang picks it up from here. This is a very special weekend for people around the world, International Women's Day, and it's a special edition of The Feed. And thrilled to be speaking with someone who um, has become a celebrity, not just around the GTA New York region, but around North America and around the hockey world because of her husband. But also, she's pretty amazing in her own right. Sarah Ayers, the wife of husband David Ayers, who made history by backstopping Carolina's emergency backup goalie to that win over the lease a couple of weeks ago, joining us in the feed. Sarah, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. Hockey has been a big part of your life. You're a hockey blogger. You've got a huge social media following. But but as you said on Twitter, you're the happiest, proudest woman on the planet uh, because my human got to live out his ultimate dream. I'm also surprised I still have a voice. For someone who's married to someone who's an emergency backup goalie, who's a goalie but no one knows about, walk us through the emotions when you realize your husband's going to play in the NHL. <laughs> It was, I don't think I realized until afterwards when somebody said to me, your, your husband's an NHL goalie now. Um, but we're just, we're, we're quiet, um, everyday people. So, uh, our days are, are pretty routine with hockey and going to practices. And then game days, we pack up his stuff and he goes to work and I meet him down at work and bring all his equipment to him. And, um, it was just a, it, it, a really a regular day. It was a regular day until the text happened, um, you sent the famous tweet, which I can't quote on radio. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then it, he became viral. I mean, it almost felt like fans in, in the Scotiabank were cheering for David. How did that feel? That was amazing. I didn't know if every because he did the three on three at Nathan Phillips Square. I know some Leafs fans would have recognized him from that, um, but I didn't know because he came out with all his Marley's gear on. So and they put him on the screen. So people put two and two together very quickly, I believe. And it was amazing to see the reception in Toronto for that. And then a, a whirlwind. Um, Stephen yes. Colbert, uh, talk shows, the Today Show. I mean, they even got his mom on the satellite just shocking him, talking about his kidney transplant. It almost doesn't seem real what you experienced that week afterwards. It doesn't. Even now, it still doesn't seem real. Um, the phone calls, the text messages, we're so busy with answering everything and trying to get back to everybody that it still hasn't had time to sink in what's gone on. And the Leafs have been on a road trip, so he's only been on the ice once with a couple of the injured reserve guys, but um, it, it still doesn't, it hasn't sunk in. You know, and part of you, I think, that impresses me, Sarah, is, is your intestinal fortitude. Not every woman would stand behind their husband in his 40s as a goalie, keep pursuing a dream. They'd say, okay, enough's enough. But you met him when he was playing with the Marlies as a backup goalie. You guys get married in 2017. You get a call the next day that the Leafs need him as, a, as an emergency goalie every night. Yeah. It, it, it may have never happened. I mean, a lot of women can say, hey, just enough, let's just do something else. But you never did that. 
No, we actually, Dave had gotten a job offer in Calgary right before um, we got married and we were, we were going to take the job. We were going to go and move to Calgary. And then as soon as we got married, the very next day, right first thing in the morning, the call came in asking him to do it. And my sport is always behind him. So it was, there was no question that this is what he was going to do, whether he saw ice time or he didn't see ice time. It's everything he's worked for. So you can't say no to that. You can't tell a story without talking about the kidney transplant. It, the, the fact that he went through that to, to live and obviously just his life and his hockey career was in question. He's still doing it. I mean, did you, how soon in the relationship did you know about his health issues and what he had gone through just to keep playing goalie that, that he does every day? Um, he told me about a couple dates and everything that he had gone through and the kidney transplant. And it was a fact of, I do have three children. So it was, you get involved with somebody and he was just, he was an amazing person right off the bat and you couldn't help but instantly fall in love with him. Everybody who meets him is like that. So it, it was one of those, well, we'll give this a shot and we'll see where it goes. And um, I'm a, I'm definitely a caretaker at heart. So it's nothing for me to, to stand behind him. It's obvious too, Sarah, that you two support each other fully, completely without reservation. And, and that's really nice to see. Yeah. It's, <laughs> there's some people that wouldn't do it, but you know what? He's, he's one in a million. So What's been your favorite part about the whole experience in the in the couple of weeks after he went in and, and made history in the NHL? I think it's the people. Like I think it's the fans everywhere. And I've had people from Scotland, from um, down south in the states, uh, Finland, everybody reaching out to us and um, saying how happy they are. And it's such a good feel good story. And it's made people happy. We're we're going through some stuff up here, politic wise, uh, virus wise, even in the states. And I think it's just the right time that this came out and just made people feel good. You know, it's funny in life how, how men and women meet each other and become a couple and sometimes they think it's destiny. There's something about you two that's so perfect together and li- <laughs> led up to this. It just seems like it was meant to be in some ways. Yeah, we've, we've both said that all along that, that our paths crossed, crossed for a reason. So yeah, it was definitely meant to be. Now when he's doing hockey, let's just give a plug. What do you do, Sarah? Um, I run an eyelash extension business out in Bowmanville. So that's that's on a little bit of a hiatus right now to uh, to get him to and from where he needs to be and answer phone calls and book things for him. So uh, my clients, it's extremely busy. So my clients are great and understanding. If you want to follow Sarah on social media, on Twitter, she's got a great Twitter feed at 35 airs, A-Y-R-E-S. I highly recommend it. Sarah, I really appreciate it. Uh, you were as big part of that historic night as uh, David was. And uh, I just, I, I couldn't be happier for two people than you and David. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jim. That means a lot. Yeah, no problem. All the best and continue success. And I, I can't wait to see what TV show is going to be on next. Canadian Closets Plus on Weston Road proudly celebrates International Women's Day on 105.9 The Region. Next on the feed, as we continue to celebrate all great things that women have done so far and will continue to do, International Women's Day, Amy Goswell, zookeeper at the Toronto Zoo, and females outnumber males when it comes to the zookeeping position. Correct. Interesting. How did that happen? Uh, it originally used to be male-dominated. In fact, the male change room is twice the size as the female change room. Um, so it used to be mostly men, and I guess it was a lot more of a physical job. The jobs kind of changed a bit. It's, it's still very physical, but there's a lot more um, training and enrichment involved. So I think that maybe that's drawn more of a female presence. You work with polar bears, and the difference in size between you and the polar bears, it, you're, they're about seven or eight times your size. Is that intimidating for you? Uh, it can be, especially if you have a grumpy bear. <laughs> but um, ours tend to be very um, 
because we do so much positive reinforcement with them and we have such a good trust bank, I never really ever see a grumpy bear. They usually come over. They have such a positive relationship with us. So, you know, they're usually pretty happy. Interesting ways of ascertaining their daily health. And it has to do with their number two, their excrement. I mean, you can tell a lot about an animal by what they poop, if you will. For sure. So what do, can you tell about a polar bear? Well, we check their, their fecals every day. Currently, we're actually collecting their fecals um, for a cortisol study. So that can be, cortisol can be measured from their, their poop. Um, but we do check for um, consistency. So we actually just switched their type of meat um, to a, it's called the polar bear diet. That's the formula. It has more fat to it. So their poop is a little bit more different today, but once their digestive system gets used to it, um, it will go back to its more normal consistency. Let's do rapid fire Q&A. What okay. is the average weight of a polar bear? Um, but a female is about 350 kilos, um, upwards to 400. That's what ours weigh. What would they eat typically? And I guess we look at in captivity, and I'm never comfortable with that word, but at a wonderful place like the Toronto Zoo versus in the wildlife. So in the wild, their number one diet is uh, seals, um, but they only eat it during the winter time when there's the sea ice that they can hunt. Um, that's why sea ice is very important to a polar bear because when there's no sea ice, they can't hunt and they basically fast. It's kind of like opposite to like a grizzly bear that's hibernating. They, um, their diet decreases, their fat and metabolism decreases, and they'll eat basically whatever they can, but as well they'll eat vegetables or vegetation like seaweed and um, berries and stuff like that. They're creative. And, yes. and here at the zoo, what would be you know daily or, or mixed up through a week in terms of what they eat? What is it that you're serving them? So we, we, uh, we don't give them seals. We do give them seal oil, which is um, rendered from seal fat. And so that's the most natural you can get to feeding them. Um, we do also feed them an equine um, meat that um, would be most similar to if they were to eat, find a caribou carcass or you know some sort of elk carcass. Um, and we do also add a lot of vegetation, so they do get carrots and apples and lettuce and special treats like melons. Um, and uh, we also give them a very high-end fish dog chow that's made of six different types of fish, as well as we give them herring and smelts. So you keep them healthy, you keep them well-fed, you keep them stimulated almost yeah by playing games with them in a way. Let's talk about you personally. Have you ever been frightened? Um, not really frightened. Sometimes like you've be, you'll be startled, you know, like, um, you know, I also work with the cougars and sometimes if there's a new keeper around, she might hiss and you're, you know, you're not expecting it, but it's just like, oh, okay. Um, but the polar bears, they're generally, you know, we can, they're very predictable to us after working with them every day. And I know that what you try to do here at the Toronto Zoo with all of the animals that are here, you try to keep them progressing, if you will. And that can also mean mating. What about polar bears in the wild? Do they mate for life? Um, no, they don't mate for life. Um, they usually, they're very spread out and they're usually solitary. Um, but their pheromones are pretty strong and their sense of smell is pretty strong. So a male will actually go for walks up to like 100 kilometers in a day in search of a female. Do you have a relationship with the two polar bears that are here? Uh, yeah, so with Aurora and Akita, um, I've worked with them for about five years now. So there is a huge um, trust bank that we have together. Yesterday we actually did a, a physical on one of our polar bears and we were able to give her an injection to sedate her voluntarily. So if she didn't have that trust, she wouldn't come near me 
to get that injection. And how do you stay safe? Um, there's always a barrier between me and her. So when we did this injection, we actually have a really neat training crate that's attached to the building. So she comes into that crate and we can do like a 3D dimensional kind of training with her, um, but we're always separated from a barrier. Do you kind of feel like you are, you know, there's that expression of breaking the, gra the glass ceiling by being a zookeeper, by being female, uh, are you making strides and setting a path for other women? Um, I think so. Like, we're always, you know, trying to progress what we're doing. Like, even 20 years ago, the it was so different, like, how we trained polar bears. Polar bears weren't even being trained. Um, you, you know, if they want to do an... Uh, medical procedure, they would dart them with a tranquilizer dart. And now we can train them to come over and accept an injection voluntarily. So. What do your parents think about all of this? Their daughter, the zookeeper. Yeah. Um, my mom was, my mom's, um, comes to the zoo pretty much once a month. My grandma's a member. She comes, though they're always here. That's so fantastic. They love it. That is great. Well, yeah. what is your message that you want to get across to people on International Women's Day? Um, I always focus on conservation because I think that's what's best for the polar bears as well as us. Without, like I said before, without that sea ice, the polar bears won't be able to hunt. Without that sea ice, um, that acts as the Earth's air conditioning unit. So it reflects that sunlight off that ice and keeps our planet nice and cool. So if everybody can, you know, reduce the amount of single-use plastics we do, and even changing your thermostat two degrees, you know, that could have a huge effect if everybody did that. I think you make a difference, and so does the Toronto Zoo. Well, it's International Women's Day, and you do a terrific job. Thank you. Thank you, Amy Goswell. Thanks, sir. This International Women's Day programming is brought to you by Crystalline Dental in Maple on 105.9 The Region. Well, that's our International Women's Day edition of The Feed. If you have a story idea or a community event to share, head to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.